Well, as I indicated at the beginning, we are really glad to have Naomi Peters here with us today. A brief introduction to Naomi from my point of view. She is uh, a recent graduate of the undergraduate studies. Uh, back in 2020, she graduated and actually came on May 7th to have her graduation ce celebration that we were able to offer a number of our students at that time. She will be entering the new the B.Ed program this summer uh, in August, August 2nd. So she'll be part of that new 2022-2023 cohort. She is also an award-winning writer. She won an award back in, I think it was 2017, from the Word Guild in Canada about an article that she, she wrote uh, about missing and murdered uh, Indigenous women, right? And she's also a wonderful creative. She's a, she loves poetry and stories. And she's a remarkable visual artist. And we'll actually see some of her artwork a little bit later on in today's chapel. So Naomi, have a seat. Um, we've prepared a few questions and responses uh, for today's um, chapel. So Naomi, my first question is, why is National Indigenous Peoples Day and History Month in Canada important to you as an Indigenous person? Before you actually answer that, just welcome people also as you oh, would. So hello, bonjour, uh, Naomi Indishnikas. Uh, just, hello, my name is Naomi. Um, I am a member of Codwell First Nation, uh, and our traditional land is the southernmost point of Canada at Point Pili Pili Island. Uh, and I am Potawatomi on my paternal grandfather's side and Chippewa on my paternal grandmother's side. So, Thank you. So talking about National Indigenous Peoples Day and, and History Month here in Canada, why is this something that's particularly important for you? Well, the simple answer would be that it is important to me to uh, celebrate my identity as an Indigenous person and to get together with family and be able to honour them and our tradition in that way. But I strive to do that a bit more in everyday life as well. And it's become a big part of my life, even my work. Uh, I've been recently being getting commissioned to do a lot of indigenous art more than anything else, really. Um, but I think it's more important to indigenous people as a whole because it gives them exposure and it allows people like indigenous entrepreneurs, indigenous artists, and people who are faced with um, issues who are specifically indigenous peoples to have that kind of media exposure that isn't typically there the rest of the year and to be heard and to be on a platform during this time that would otherwise not exist. Wonderful. Is there anything that you do in your immediate family or perhaps extended family to celebrate or acknowledge this day? I know this morning uh, down by the lake, there was a large sunrise service for a number of First Nations and Indigenous people as the sun came. National Indigenous Peoples Day is actually held on the summer solstice, so it shifts every day. It's kind of a movable feast, if you will. Have you guys done anything along that line? Well, recently we did uh, visit Point Pili Island, so our traditional land, and I actually walked to the most southern part of Canada. Um, where you see the waves start to rise over one another. So that was meaningful to me. But I wouldn't say it's something like, it's not something we traditionally celebrate as if it's like July 4th or something. It's not like barbecue kind of thing. Um, I think it's more the acknowledgement and trying to um, keep more 
awareness of the indigenous issues that we already pay attention to and just trying to show our support to other people that way. Why is it important to you that a place like Tyndale, a place that you have already given four years of your life, now you're preparing to give another year and a half of your life, why is it important to you that Tyndale acknowledges both this day as well as Truth and Reconciliation Day that will come in September? Well, for this day and for this month, uh, I think it shows support. And it's very important that not just individuals show support of indigenous communities, but that institutions do this because it further alongs uh, the necessity and the awareness of indigenous issues. I, if I have to show an example of this, I'm sure a lot of people have heard now how many bodies were found at residential schools. And I have to say, I've never seen the same media attention given to these types of issues, even though indigenous people have been aware that the bodies were there for now at least 50 years. Um, but having that show of support from fellow Canadians and from institutions has really pushed forth that um, agenda. Like, I never saw the same show of support for, say, Attawapiskat's water crisis or Pekanji comes. Uh, rising youth suicide rates. There's a lot of issues that are still going on that because they don't have the same backing from institutions are often just covered up or you don't hear about them. Yeah. It's interesting you bringing up Attawapiskat. Tyndale, for a number of years back in the uh, early 2000s, actually sent a number of teams up, t up there uh, during the winter yeah. when there was only the the, the lake, the ice bridge that was over the lake, and to play hockey among uh, the youth there, and reports were always so positive in their engagement with, with the people there. Um, before I go to the next question, coming back to Tyndale and its acknowledgement and recognition, is there something more, when, when you think about us, when you think about this institution, mm -hmm. is there something more that you, if you had a wish list, you think, oh, I wish Tyndale would do that, even more so? Well, I feel like the land acknowledgement that you gave um, and the land acknowledgement that I heard at the graduation on May 7th and things like that are already a great step in the right direction and they are much more meaningful than they seem. Um, on top of that, the fact that we now have an indigenous course incorporated into the program here at Tyndale to me was a very important step forward. However, if I had a wish list, I think it would be good to acknowledge the difference between where history has been traditionally, especially for university graduates of indigenous backgrounds and those who have what's Indian status. I don't like to say Indian status because I'm indigenous, I'm not Indian. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to acknowledge that as per the Indian Act until 1961, uh, if you were a graduate of university, you would be forced um, to have your Indian status revoked. Uh, and you were not even like meant to be seen as an indigenous person if you were educated. You were also not allowed to be a doctor, a lawyer, a Christian minister, or even 
as a woman, um, be allowed to get married to anyone outside of an indigenous background because it would immediately revoke your status. So. I did not realize that, but thank you. That's very helpful. Um, how have you been able to connect your Christian faith with your identity as an indigenous person? Um, within the indigenous community and the First Nations community in Canada, there are a number of religious expressions, some of them which are Christian, but some that are not. But you as a Christian woman, how have you been able to make that connection? Well, I'd like to talk first about, like, indigenous culture. I think there has been a lot of misconceptions that I have heard growing up. And I'm not accusing anyone of having these misconceptions, personally. It's just there is a difference between uh, usually culture and religion when they're talked about in conversation. And what I've noticed is there are a lot of people who assume that indigenous uh, spirituality is interwoven with everything we do in culture. And that either we have um, ideas of animism or pantheism, but we've always been, as Ojibwe people, uh, a monotheistic society. So for that aspect of our culture or spirituality was not hard to, um, like, not mix, but rather accommodate to being a Christian because I believe I'm a Christian first and foremost and that God created me as an indigenous person and that was his decision. So I see it as uh, indigenous people have long thanked a singular creator for their hunts, for the harvest, for celebrations in times of like new births, stuff like that. So that was very easy to just now know that the creator who I should be thinking and who my creator is, is God. And so that point of connect was very easy to make. While I was thinking about this question, actually, there's a lot of uh, thing, like small things that I can relate to my Christian faith. I was relating uh, how a precious stone to indigenous peoples, turquoise, and how that's represented, I think, eight times in the Bible. And then I was relating how cedar is seen as a cleansing thing to our faith um, or to indigenous spirituality, whatever you would like to call it. Um, but our tradition, even past the spiritual aspects, we like treasure cedar. And so cedar is also mentioned as a strong, beautiful, sturdy, tall tree that's fragrant. Like there's a lot of depictions of it in scripture as well for the same reasons. And recently I've been making the connect that a lot of indigenous people will have smudging ceremonies or will burn incense like sage, sweet grass, those kinds of things as part of our four medicines. And I see that as something similar to burning incense in prayer, but having the disconnect between praying instead of just to spirits that I'm praying to God and I'm not um, giving my worship to anything but God when I pray. And then another point of disconnect I would say is things like uh, dream catchers. Like although I can uh, appreciate their aesthetic value, 
I don't think I would appreciate them for the myths behind them. Yeah. No, I know that, uh, just speaking of the Christian faith in Canada, we've already talked a little bit about the residential school system um, and its, uh, its genocidal tendencies toward First Nations and Indigenous people in this country. So many of them were connected, if not all of them, with a branch of the Christian church, whether Catholicism, mm. Anglicanism, United Church, whatever it might be. Um, and for that, for that reason, a number of Indigenous people have essentially lost any sort of semblance or vestige of their youthful faith because they can't separate the atrocities made against them and their people mm. from God. Mm. Has that been something that you've wrestled with at all? I wouldn't say wrestled. I think from a very young age, I already considered myself a Christian before um, learning too much about my indigenous background. Uh, it came in sections because, well, there was so much of my history that's been lost. And so the search to find um, more about my heritage has actually been harder for me. Um, but how I view that as is, I don't know if I can call the people who came in the name of God um, Christians, personally. I see it more as that they were false teachers. Because if they were able to commit such atrocities against fellow human beings and go directly against scripture like that, it just reminds me of like First John be wary of false teachers, right? And you cannot trust people who do not proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, so. Thank you. Um, talking about truth and reconciliation and all that's happened from the report back in the, uh, in the early 2000s to the fact that there is now a national day of recognition in September. T talk, to, talk to us a little bit about your feelings about that commission and the, and the uh, findings of it and what's happened since then and how Tyndale can do a better job of, 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 uh, of recognizing it and acknowledging it. I think there's simple ways of recognition that can be done. Um, for example, a big thing with finding the bodies from residential schools was to leave orange handprints. So I think that would be something to do. Uh, even if it's just on paper, so it could be removed afterwards to not damage the property. Um, but just uh, maybe even information packets or something on the bulletin is already like something that will help uh, a lot of students who want to learn more, maybe get those information resources that are needed to learn more about these issues. Um, as far as truth and reconciliation goes, I can't say that I like those words, the way that they're put together. Um, because that conference originally in 2008 was seen as a very hopeful thing for us, that there would be a lot more transparency from the government and that there would be a lot more accommodation towards indigenous people, especially with um, not just residential school issues, but also new issues that have arisen since like the 60s scoop scandal. But that has been far from the case. So I have to say, I don't exactly like the whole truth and reconciliation phrase. Um, 
things that the commission has done with discovering the bodies, I do support that, obviously. I believe it's important to be able to bring those children home. And that is one thing that I would like to see come out of that, is that those children be returned to their indigenous lands. So. Thank you, Naomi. Uh, Rainer, if you could put the images on the screen. Um, you're creative, as I indicated. You write stories of poetry, but you've created a number. You talked about being um, commissioned for a number of these pieces. I, we have six pieces that Naomi has done. They're all uh, reflective of, of, of Indigenous art in Canada. Some of them are, well, all of them are breathtaking. My favorite two are the butterfly and the turtle. And I'd love for you to talk, well, first of all, um, explain, explain how your identity as a, as a woman, as an Indigenous person, and a Jesus follower, connects with your, your work as an artist. Well, I have to say that I became an artist, um, actually more because of my maternal grandfather's side. Um, so my Swiss grandfather was always painting for me when I was young. And then as I grew up, I saw that my dad, my indigenous father, also uh, drew a lot. So I had an appreciation from art that was already a bit hereditary. Um, but if you would have seen how I drew as a child, it was horrendous. And so I know that my talent... There's hope for me now. So. Yeah, I, I know that my talent is not my talent because I remember loving art so much and practicing and I never got better. And so I prayed to God, please let me have this gift. And that's when I started to notice that um, I was actually developing skills finally. Right? And I don't account it to be my own skill whatsoever. Um, but the animal series that you see on screen, uh, this would be the Ashagi, the blue heron. Um, this actually started as a gift to my Swiss mother. Uh, she's always had a deep love for indigenous people ever since she was a child. And she always said that she would marry an indigenous man one day. So um, we call her Nigigkwe which is Otter Woman. And the reason we call her that is because she's such a loving and caring person and so resourceful. So, yeah. Maybe, uh, Rainer, if you could go to the next one. Uh, I don't think I have the otter on here, but I do have the name for it. That sure. was the first name by it. Yeah. Uh, and that one was called Binji Dun Oji Asa Iniwe Asinisa. And that means my mother, she swallowed a stone. And the reason it's called that is because in Ojibwe tradition, uh, there's a myth of swallowing stones being related to becoming pregnant. Okay. And so in that picture, the otter is pregnant, but it is also holding a stone to represent uh, her being the mother to both me and my brother. Okay, yeah. that's wonderful. Oh, this one this, piece, is, this piece is remarkable. I mean, they're all remarkable, but talk a little bit about the the imagery within the actual bear? So this one was uh, called Makwa, which is bear. Um, this was done in honor of my late paternal grandmother, who was part of what would be called the bear clan, or okay. however you want to say it. But basically, her family totem, um, or totem, uh, they're often called, uh, where you would see them on totem poles, mm -hmm. her family crest, okay. her family uh, connection. She would be a bear. Um, where I'm wearing the turtle today in honor of my paternal grandfather. Okay. So who would be from the turtle clan. Just even talking about 
how you've honored so many people in your family line is significant, isn't it? That, that, that drives you. That's part of that who you are. That was my original intention for the first pieces that yeah. I created were for different parts of my family. I've also done a turtle in honor of him, which has the medicine wheel depicted on the back. Um, but this one was for her. And it has repeating imagery of uh, teeth uh, inside of the bear, uh, as well as rounded imagery and a circle with four parts to represent the medicine wheel around the stomach. Mm -hmm. And this is to represent strength and ferocity um, because the bear is actually, uh, for the seven grandfather teachings, which are Ojibwe tradition, uh, moral-like teachings, Okay. Uh, the bear represents bravery. So that was the reason for okay. having it, this kind of image to it. Right. Yeah. The butterfly, th this one is so intricate. So, yeah, this one is Memenguan, again, the name, mm -hmm. uh, like butterfly. Um, but the butterfly, I had heard stories from one of my Ojibwe teachers when I've been learning a bit of uh, Anishinaabek, um, that the butterfly is often equated with the dancer mm. in cultures. So uh, the way their flapping of their wings is said to be like a young woman dancing. So... How long did it take to, to put that one together, to paint that one? I think this one was actually a bit quicker than most of my other pieces. I would say eight hours Okay, wow. wow. Uh, my longest piece was probably the Ashagi, which took me 40 hours. Okay. Yeah. Good. Next one, Rainer. This one's probably my favorite. I, I love this one. It's the representation of Turtle Island with the with the turtle right on top. Let's talk a little bit about why the heart is there and what the heart represents. Okay, so this was actually a commissioned piece. Um, so the heart is going over Ontario, okay. which is where we're located. And also this one is currently in um, the Welcome Center at Pili Island. Okay. So they have a map surrounding it and then you can see the uh, turtle piece blown up in person. Um, but yeah, the imagery of the turtle or that myth comes from is the creation myth for Ojibwe people, uh, where uh, in the story, Sky Woman fell from a hole in the sky, fell onto the turtle's back, and then I believe it was a fisher, or uh, it, it changes because we have oral tradition, right? right? right. And every tradition is a bit different. But uh, I think it was the fisher who dove under, brought her back a piece of earth, and then she planted a tobacco and strawberry seed that she had with her. Um, because in our tradition, tobacco is seen as the first plant. Right, right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's stunning, really stunning. I think there's two more, right, Rainer? Yeah. So this was actually a mural that was just recently done for um, my band, Codwell First Nation. And there are plans to have it on the outside of their band office there. Okay. And there is going to be, I think, an app also with a digital walkthrough uh, for the different sections. But with these two wolves, they have the medicine wheel colors, red, yellow, black, white. Right. It has our um, Codwell First Nation crest in the middle on the back of the turtle. And then there are different depictions throughout. Unfortunately, I can't zoom in. Yeah. Um, but there's depictions of the railroads where people escape residential school, the oh. circle dance, which was a unifying dance for all tribes, 
Um, there is depictions of like how we would traditionally gather rice, uh, broken treaties, uh, our traditional constellations. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of things in there. And um, the dresses actually are to represent missing and murdered indigenous women. Okay. Yeah. So. Remarkable. Last one. Oh, this would be the wawashkesh, uh, the deer. Um, in this one, the small imagery would be the hunters that are seen throughout, the faces of them, um, because deer were an important food source to us, and the deer was prized as being very fast and very agile. Um, and there was a big tradition uh, surrounding hunting where when we hunt, we're using all pieces of the animal to make mm. sure that their life is not wasted, and we're thanking the creator where I thank God for my meals, yeah, mm -hmm. um, for uh, giving that life up so that we can stay alive. They're, they're, they're breathtaking. I, I remember shortly after you graduated, you showed me some pieces in a, in a, in a three-ring binder that you were working on. And I remember those vaguely, but these are significantly a lot of these are a lot of these are actually some of my older pieces. Oh, okay. I have made pieces since then. Um, I think the Wawashkesh uh, is actually from 2018. Okay. Now, so yeah. Yeah. Well, they're wonderful. My last question to you uh, this this after this morning is: You'll be entering the BEd program mm -hmm. at Tyndale in August. Explain the process of wanting to become a teacher and why that is significant for you. I think traditionally it's very normal to want to be a teacher because the way we pass down information, again, has always been an oral tradition, mm -hmm. which is very different from how um, the written tradition is because a lot of times people will misunderstand what we're teaching because we tend to mix fiction with fantasy and mm -hmm. all these kinds of entertainment um, into one story. And then it's also meant to have a moral teaching, right? right? And often animals will depict the human condition rather than people. So it's very confusing. But that is just to say that we have such an intricate oral tradition and such a way of teaching that we're expected to teach our young ones. And it's everyone in a family that is expected to teach the younger generation, right. especially when they become elders. That's like the whole purpose of their time is to teach and educate and inform the following generations about what should be done and how they should survive and live properly. Right. With your degree, when you finally get it, are you hoping to, be, to teach in a public system, um, in a private system? Have you even thought that far ahead at this point? I think I would like to teach in a public system. Mm -hmm. And that has to do a bit with my own experience of public schools. I wasn't exactly given the right accommodations as someone who just struggled just getting along with other students. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was just not knowing who I was and being very different from mm. other people. Mm. I, I don't want to say that like, oh, I'm so different. But any, anyways, the point is just that I want to be a teacher in a public system who is accepting of people from all backgrounds. Right and to be making all of my students feel comfortable and wanting to learn and mm. wanting to come to school and be excited at the end of the day as much as they are at the beginning of the day. Right. So. That's a beautiful pursuit. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Naomi. Really appreciate you being here today. 
Can we give her a round of applause? Let me, let, let me conclude today's service with a, uh, with a benediction. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Go in peace.